You are listening to the teaching ministries of Southwest Church, located in the heart of Springboro, Ohio, at 150 Remick Boulevard, beside the Kaufman Family YMCA. Please visit our website at www.southwestchurch.org. In the remainder of our time, we want to shift our focus to a specific spiritual blessing for us to be thankful for as we celebrate on this Thanksgiving weekend. And it's not to be grateful for a certain team in Ohio defeating a team up north, okay? Nor is it for us to be grateful that for some of us, we root for a team that's the only team that has defeated that team in Ohio this year, okay? Just saying, okay. When you've only had six wins, you got to look at what you got to be grateful for. But, uh, but that's not what we're going to talk about, though I did throw that in. No, on this uh, standalone message, we want to focus on the one who is sometimes described as the forgotten person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. The whole idea of the Trinity or the triune God is a difficult concept to wrestle with. And yet I believe it's a concept that's worth wrestling with because it's a vital aspect of how we come to understand who God is and how we can comprehend what it means to be in relationship with a God that is one God, and yet we come to know Him in three persons. In our discovery class, we explained to all the participants that one way to better understand the truth that that we worship this one God, and yet we come to understand Him or know Him in three persons, is an illustration from something that all of us learned in seventh grade science class. Okay, that's that there is this this chemical uh, description of a property that we're all very familiar with that we have to think about, okay? And that's this, this description of H2O. Now, when I you throw out the, the phrase H2O, two parts hydrogen, one part oxygen, okay? Now, most of us understand right away that we're talking about what? Water, okay? But water is simply one, one way that we come to know this chemical property that we describe as H2O. We also come to know that this this in two other ways. One, that of the solid form, which is ice, right? And then the gas form, which, and this is probably the most difficult question I'll ask today, is what? Steam. You guys are good, okay? I, I gave you a picture to kind of tip you off. So, and yet, as you think about this, as you think about water, as you think about ice and steam, the actual property never changes. It's still H2O. In the Trinity, the triune God, we, we come to know a God that, and yet there's one God and yet three persons. Just as we come to understand H2O and three properties, liquid, solid, and gas, Likewise, God is one substance, deity, and yet we come to understand this triune God in the three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Maybe that analogy will help you wrap your mind around this big, big concept of 
the Trinity. Now, personally, I find myself talking more about the importance of pleasing and praying to the Father and the importance of identifying, learning, following, and imitating the Son, Jesus Christ. And yet, sometimes I don't give the attention in my teaching of the importance of understanding and celebrating the gift of the Holy Spirit. Our first observation, if you're taking notes, there's three bullet points that you can fill in in the message notes that you'll find inside the bulletin. The first observation is that the Holy Spirit, that He is a person. So if you're taking notes, the person of the Holy Spirit. Now, from time to time, I hear people talk about uh, the Holy Spirit as an it, okay? Now, I think whenever we use that pronoun, and I might slip up from time to time, but if I do, uh, maybe throw something at me. Okay, not, not seriously. But I mean, the truth of it is, it's important for us not to describe the Holy Spirit as an object for us to manipulate or for us to take advantage of, but for us to understand that the Holy Spirit is a person for us to follow and to be led by. Okay? Now, we're introduced to this person of the Trinity in the second verse of the Bible. Okay? When we read in Genesis 1, the creation account, and this is how it reads in verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. You see here in this creation account that before the creation of the universe, the triune God existed. Now, this is a significant difference between deity and humanity. Humanity as a whole has a beginning point. And each of us as humans have a distinct beginning point. I believe very strongly that the beginning point for a human being is that of conception. That's when life begins. And so because of that, we can all point to a time, or at least a ballpark, a time that, that our existence began as human beings. And yet the one that we are celebrating today and the one that we worship the triune God, and specifically the person of the Holy Spirit, has always existed. There was never a beginning point for deity. Now, I know that's a tough concept to grasp, okay? It's one that, honestly, when you try to think about, okay, a God who's always been, who's always existed, I mean, we're finite beings, and so it's hard for us to understand the infinite, and I understand that's difficult, that's a, that's a stretch of our minds, and yet I think it's important for us to wrestle with. But we wrestle with this idea of time. Now, as we get older, I think we understand a little bit better, but time is something as humans we wrestle with, you know, and this was brought home to me recently as I... Uh, weekly here at, at Southwest, we, the YMCA preschool meets in our building, and weekly I get the opportunity to do a little devotional for them. And I, I read out of the Rhyme Bible, and I try to really help these three, four, and five-year-olds understand some of these important truths from God's Word. And I try to have fun, and we read it, you know, it all rhymes, it's fun. But, but it really drove home to me recently how time is tough for people to understand, even when we're young. 
I was recently reading to the kids a story, a story of Moses, and how that when Moses was born, there was this evil king of Egypt, Pharaoh, who passed this edict that all little boys had to be thrown into the Nile River. And as I was trying to make that really personal for the kids, I said, now, for those of you that are in the, you know, that those of you in the class that are girls, that wouldn't have been a real challenge for you. But, but for those of you that are boys, and I named off some of the names of the boys in the room, and I said, or myself, it would have really been bad to have been born at this time. I was just trying to help them relate to the story. What I didn't realize that was for one little boy in the, in the class that I was going to create nightmares for him, okay? So every week... When I do the rhyme Bible, he says, is that evil king still out there? I mean, he's scared to death. There's this evil king that's going to throw him in the river. And I said, oh, no, no, God took care of him. And about that time, one little girl thought she'd come to the aid, and she raised her hand. She said, he wasn't even around when we were born, was he? So, you know, five years is a long time for them. I said, oh, no. I said, he wasn't even born. He wasn't even around when I was born. And I said, and I'm old, okay? And so they, they, you know, I'm hoping I can help this little boy sleep better at night, okay? But you see, this idea of worshiping an infinite God is hard for us to get our minds wrapped around. Now, we see the Holy Spirit was there prior to creation as recorded in Scripture. He was also there prior to the point in time that Jesus was born of Mary or conceived in Mary, which is a focus that we'll begin examining next weekend as we kick off our three-week Christmas series entitled The Adventures of Christmas. You know, every year we tackle this topic of Christmas. And and honestly, I just want to be open with you that it's a challenge to keep it fresh and new every year because there's limited material you've got to work with in the Bible. And, And yet this year, we are excited about approaching the Christmas season in a new way, looking at the adventure within the story. And so we want to invite you back next weekend. We want to encourage you to be inviting others. You can look in the bulletin of our our five identical Christmas Eve services. And, and last week, one of those times was incorrect, so make sure you make note of these are the correct times. And uh, if you were here last week, we discussed that, that according to a recent survey, when asked how likely were people that don't attend church regularly, how likely were they to attend a church service at Christmas time? Uh, it was interesting to find 57% of the individuals surveyed said that if they were invited by someone they knew, they would attend a Christmas service. So be thinking of who you can invite to our upcoming Christmas Eve and Christmas ser- series as we intend to really share hope and the hope that the message of Christ brings into people's life throughout the year, but especially at the Christmas season. Now, interesting enough, we see the person of the Holy Spirit specifically and powerfully involved in the Christmas story. As a sneak preview of the next four weeks, we read this in the Bible in Matthew 1. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. 
But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. In many ways, we see in this birth event all three persons of the Trinity present, with the Father sending his Son to the earth as a baby inside Mary's womb, as this miraculous conception took place, through the power of whom? The Holy Spirit. Now, another significant event in Jesus' life in which we see all three persons present is at Jesus' baptism in the Jordan River by John the Baptist. The Gospel of Luke records it this way. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love with you. I am well pleased. I don't know about you, but I would have loved to have seen this scene. Wouldn't, it? Wouldn't this have been an awesome scene to see? To see the son of God, Jesus of Nazareth, being obedient to the father and being baptized. And then in his baptism to to see heaven open up. I don't know what that looked like, but that would have been cool to see. And to hear this thunderous voice from heaven saying, this is my son whom I love with you. I'm well pleased. And then to see the Holy Spirit descend upon the son in a miraculous way in the form of a dove. Now that would have been a cool scene in history to have experienced. And then after the resurrection, we hear Jesus promise that the power of the Holy Spirit is not something reserved only for kings, prophets, or priests, which was the case before Jesus came to the earth, but for all people. Jesus promised in Acts chapter one, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So this leads us to our second reminder about the Holy Spirit. First was he is a person. The second to celebrate this weekend is the promise of the Holy Spirit. Now this was something that Jesus promised not only after the resurrection, but also toward the end of his earthly ministry. In John's gospel, as Jesus is preparing those closest followers that had spent three years with him, he's preparing them for his departure, his death on the cross, and and what would be traumatic for them in their life. He's trying to prepare them for that moment. And he gives them this promise to prepare them for what's coming up. In John 14, verse 25, Jesus says, these things I have spoken to you while abiding with you. But the helper, I like that, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. I love how the New American Standard Bible here translates this word that's descriptive of the role of the Holy Spirit, this word helper. The word in the original language is parakletos or parakletos, and it's been transliterated into this word paraclete. Maybe some of you have come across that in your reading. Not parakeet, don't get confused, but paraclete. 
Now here in this translation, we see the English word helper. Other translations will translate that same word, this paraclete, has advocate, comforter, or counselor. One author noted that all those translations are correct, and yet there's no single English word which adequately covers all the meanings of the paraclete, the role of the Holy Spirit. You see, it's truly an all-encompassing descriptive word. I don't know about you, but I personally like this promise of an ongoing permanent companion in my life. And if you're a Christian in your life, who serves to defend you as your advocate, he's there to guide you as your counselor. He's there to comfort and to help you no matter what you might face in life no matter what challenge you might face, either in the present or in the future, the Holy Spirit is there to give comfort, help, guidance, and strength. That's truly good news worth celebrating. Now, this is an encouraging introduction to the role of the Holy Spirit. And honestly, it's a far cry, far, far, you know, it's, it's a far distance from my original introduction to the Holy Spirit. I grew up in rural Indiana in a little country church. And I grew up in a church that only read out the King James Version of the Bible. Now, some of you might really like the King James Version. It's very poetic. It's, it's very descriptive. It's beautiful. I'm very grateful for the King James Version of the Bible, but I just, I really struggled with understanding it. And I especially struggled whenever the King James Version of the Bible would try to, would describe the Holy Spirit. Because does anybody remember how the King James describes the Holy Spirit? The Holy Ghost. Now, as a little boy growing up in a church, I'd sat around campfires and heard ghost stories. And those were scary. And then I'd sit in church and somebody would say, and the Holy Ghost will come on you. And I thought, ooh, That's kind of spooky. I don't know how I feel about this Holy Ghost. Later, when I read more recent translations and found out from further study that the more accurate reading, even the New King James Version corrected to Holy Spirit. And although ghost was scared, this idea of comforter, counselor, advocate, helper is endearing something I want to learn more about. Now, there's still a lot of things I don't yet understand about the Holy Spirit, and yet I'm drawn to Him. And I want to learn more about how I can tap into His presence and His guidance in my life. And yet, with that said, from time to time, I hear people attributing certain things to the Holy Spirit that I, I don't know, I scratch my head and I wonder, is that, is that really from the Holy Spirit? I, I don't know. One thing I do know, and it's a scripture that's not listed in your message notes, but hopefully it'll flash up on your screen, that that the Bible tells us that the same spirit that indwells every Christian, that same spirit, the spirit that Jesus promised he would send, that same spirit inspired people from the past to write down God's written word for us. This is how Peter described it in 2 Peter 1, verse 20. He says, above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. 
So in other words, when I read Isaiah, I'm not reading Isaiah's interpretation of God. Or when I read Matthew, I'm not reading his interpretation of Jesus. He goes on to say, for prophecy never had its origin in the, will, in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. You see, when I read Scripture, I believe with all my heart that I'm reading what the Holy Spirit carried along and guided these individuals to write down and record for us so that we could know God's will for our lives. And because of that, we can have a certainty and a confidence that when we're reading Scripture, we're reading God's written Word, and we need to apply it. We need to listen to it. We need to obey it in our lives. And that also means that that the Holy Spirit will never lead you or guide you or prompt you to do something that's not consistent with Scripture. Because the same Spirit that leads and guides Christians today is the same Spirit who, who, who inspired Scripture being written down. Now, with that said, that brings us to something else Jesus said that should bring us not only comfort and confidence, but maybe conviction. Jesus went on to say in John 16, verse 7, but in fact, it is best that, that for you that I go away. Because if I don't, the advocate won't come or the helper won't come. If I do go away, then I'll send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. So you see, even though we're describing the Holy Spirit as a comforter and a helper, which he is, that doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit doesn't at times convict us and challenge us and speak into our lives. It's not always things easy to hear, but yet important for us to hear. Yet in the end, I believe those convictions will bring healing, peace, and security. Now, here's the good news. The promise of the Holy Spirit wasn't simply available for those first followers or the apostles of Jesus but he's available for everyone who will trust and obey Jesus today. This is a promise that the apostle Peter gave to the first audience that heard the first gospel message, and yet there's, a, there's an ongoing promise here. In Acts 2, verse 38, at the end of his sermon, Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. One of the reasons I get so excited about baptisms here is because every time someone is baptized, we're able to celebrate with them the certainty of their forgiveness of sins and that they've received the assurance of the ongoing presence of the Holy Spirit in their lives. You see here in Acts 2, God's Word promises that, that for those who will truly repent and be baptized, there is the certainty of forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's good news. You see, although baptism is a simple act of obedience, it's a profound faith step of great importance. Now, unlike Jesus, when he was baptized by John, when someone's baptized here, we don't see a dove come down from the ceiling and land on him. That'd be pretty cool, wouldn't it? We'd probably have more baptisms if we saw that every time somebody was baptized. 
But even though we don't see that, that visible manifestation, the spiritual truth is still existing. The promise of the Holy Spirit dwelling within each and every Christian. That's good news. It's good news for every soul who comes to that point in their life where they see they need strength and power, not within themselves, but from above. You know, this past week I was reading a devotional in a journal that was written for people that are going through a 12-step program. And honestly, I, I find the 12 steps and some of the meaning behind them very, very powerful and very personal in my own life. And in, this, in the 12-step program, the second step is to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Maybe you've got to that point in your life where you recognize that you were powerless to overcome habits or hangups or things that just seem to have a hold on you. But the truth is, that's when we get to a point where we recognize our need for a power greater than ourselves. And that brings us to our third observation today. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit. This is how the Apostle Paul, who himself was powerfully changed following his baptism, describes the power of the Holy Spirit. In Romans 8, he says, but if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of the Spirit who lives in you. Did you catch what that passage says? The same Holy Spirit who powerfully raised the dead corpse of Jesus from the dead in the tomb, that same Spirit is indwelling each and every Christian. What a great promise. That's power, folks. That's power. Now, I think that qualifies as a power greater than ourselves. It not only empowers us to say no to sin, but it also empowers us to make those character changes in our life. Those, those, when we see those weaknesses that keep popping up over and over again that maybe we've just settled for in our lives and just saying, well, that's the way I am. No, with God's spirit, there's hope of seeing those th- things change as well. Listen to this description of the powerful work of the Holy Spirit in the Christian life. In 2 Corinthians 3, he says, but whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. For the Lord is the spirit. And wherever the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. So all of us who've had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord who is the Spirit. You see there the idea of the Trinity? The Lord, the triune God who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. In this text, we see the promise that if the follower of Jesus will continue to keep His or her focus 
on the one that we are to see and reflect his glory, the, the Son of God, that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, those are all synonymous terms, that the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit will do his transforming work that only he can do through his power. Now, this is good news for the person who's considering the promises and power of the Holy Spirit for the first time. Honestly, when I think back to when I first became a Christian, one of the things that really drew me to Christ, drew me to see my need to be baptized, to surrender my life to Jesus and start this new life, was that I longed for a power in my life to overcome some of the weaknesses and flaws and, and, and just traps I'd found myself in. Because for years, I felt like I was hitting a brick wall. And I long for a power greater than myself to change me and to turn me into the person that God had created me to be. Now, that's good news for the person that's first considering following Jesus. But you know, decades later, it's still good news. Because the truth of it is, I don't know about you, but sometimes I take my eyes off Jesus. Anybody else ever do that? And every time I take my eyes off Jesus and I take up my eyes off the power of God through his spirit that wants to work in me, every time I take my eyes off of him and put my eyes on myself and my own strength and my own abilities, I end up falling on my face every time. And so that's one of the reasons why I'm so grateful that here at Southwest, we make sure we reserve every week a time in our service that we pause and reflect upon what Jesus has done for us on the cross. That he died on the cross so that we could be forgiven. He died on the cross so that we could be changed and made new. And this weekend, as we pass the trays and as we hear Jesus say, this is my body. As we take the cup and hear him say, this is my blood. I want us all to take to heart that last passage we read and to maybe pray during this time of communion, God, would you remove the veil from my eyes? Would you teach me to quit looking to my own strength Instead, to keep my gaze fixed on Jesus, the one who died for me. And to begin to trust with all my heart, maybe for the first time, maybe for some of us for the thousandth time. That the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is living within us or longs to live within us. And he longs to change us. If we'll just learn to trust him and look to his power and not our own. Let's pray together. Dear God, we thank you. We thank you for these scriptures we read today. We thank you that your spirit inspired people to write them down. We thank you, Father, for what Jesus did for us on the cross, dying for us, and help us remember that as we take communion together. But Father, we thank you that Jesus didn't leave us alone in his orphans. But instead, he sent the Spirit to guide us, 
to lead us, to help us. Help us during this time of communion, fix our eyes on Jesus. I pray that you'll remove the veil so we can see him clearly. And we pray, Father, that we will learn to trust that your spirit is given to change us, to transform us. Help us learn to trust in you and your power through your spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray.